0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is so good to see you guys here today. Welcome back, First Thailand Mission Team. So let's give it up for them again. And thank you for the rest of you guys for joining us. We're really happy that we could worship together here today. Well, I got to share, I thought after the last sermon series that we were all safe and that we would never have to see my face on one of the videos ever again. But I've learned never underestimate Pastor Sam. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. So I guess i got to give an extra thank you to Irina for doing the highlights, because that spared you seeing me up here for like a fifth time. So thank you, Irina, for those highlights. But hey, like she said, our sermon series right now, it's Sermon Sampler Platter. And so what that means is we pastors who get to share during these three messages of the series, we get to share from whatever we want to share about, right? Whatever subject is near and dear to our hearts. And so for me today, I decided I want to share with you from a very, very, famous section of writing, in fact, one of the most famous pieces of writing, not only in the Bible, but in all of literature, period, and that is from Psalm chapter number 23, right? Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've memorized it. I'm sure you're familiar with it, especially as we go through it. But Psalm 23 is near and dear to me because that is actually the psalm, at least the first verse of it, that is engraved in my grandmother's headstone where she's buried. It was her favorite psalm. And it serves as a constant reminder to me of just her unwavering faith and trust in God. And so this is not only the favorite psalm of her, but maybe the favorite psalm of some of you or some of your loved ones. And so it's not a surprise that it would be etched in gravestones and tombstones that we hear this at funerals and memorials. But here's the thing. This psalm is not intended to be a psalm for the dead. It's very much intended to be a psalm for those of us who are alive and living And so this is what we'll do. I'll open us up in a word of prayer, then we'll open up to that psalm, and we'll see what God has in store for us. Lord God, thank you for this time that we have to gather here in your house, in this place, to worship and to hear your word. And God, I pray that we could hear your voice here today, just like the sheep hear from their shepherd. Give to us exactly what we need, because you know what that is, and allow our lives to really reflect the truth and teaching that you give to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of months ago, our very own Jerry Lee, who's sitting in the second row with a camera as he is every single week, gave my son Dawson this. What is this? Shark. It's a shark. It's a squishy foam toy kind of a thing. And Jerry's always doing stuff like that, right? He's finding ways to make my son happy and put a smile on his face. He's given him multiple little trash cans and garbage trucks because my son just loves that kind of stuff and he's given him all sorts of goodies. Well, on this particular week he gave him this squishy shark toy. Now here's the thing, here's the cool thing about this shark thing is it's not really supposed to be a kid's toy. Now Dawson uses it like a toy which is fine, he takes it into the bathtub with him every single night. He loves this thing but it's not originally a kid's toy. What it is is actually, well two things, number one it's a, a stress reliever. So when you're stressed, you squish it. I really need this at work sometimes. But number two, it's a promotional marketing item for a business, for a particular company or for like a a profession. And so right here, I'm looking at it. It's imprinted in white. There's the name of a company, like a profession on here. Do you guys know what that is? This shark toy? Who said that? That was amazing. Yes. So no offense to any attorneys in the house because I know we have at least a couple But right here is the name of a law firm, because, you know, lawyers are sharks, or so they say. But what that goes to show is something very, very interesting. We as people, we love doing that. We love to describe people as animals, right? When we want to say what someone is like, rather than coming up with a bunch of descriptions, we just say they're this animal, or they're like this animal quality. And more than likely, the person who is listening will know exactly what you're talking about. So for example, maybe you've said something like this, oh, he's an eager beaver. She's a scaredy cat. He's a busy bee. Or I felt like a fish out of water. Maybe you might describe someone as a wolf in sheep's clothing. They can't be trusted, right? Maybe someone is like a deer in the headlights or a cold-hearted snake. Some of you guys are early birds. Other of you guys are night owls. Someone might be described as a cunning fox, stubborn as a mule, or just one word, either a weasel or a rat. Guys can be dogs, and girls are called chicks, and a certain kind of Asian parent we call a tiger mom. Some of you guys might have had one, some of you guys are one, and that's okay. We still love you, or you kids do, I assure you. But we love doing this, right? We have all sorts of animal terminology and metaphors in our vernacular and in our lexicon. In fact, did you know that I had like this animal nickname too when I was younger? When I was in high school, freshman year, there was this guy in my PE class. He called me an animal name. You know what he called me? He called me Penguin. Now, why why was I Penguin? It wasn't because I wore black and white clothes. It wasn't because I was like muscular and swam really fast. It actually was not for a very good reason at all. It's because of the way I looked. I was short, I was fat, and then when I walked, he said, I I waddled like this, right? So he called me a penguin. In fact, I don't even think he knew my name, right? Because he would just call me Peng, and when I had him, (laughs) he called me Peng for short, and when I had him sign my yearbook, he put like, penguin, I love you so much, you're so cute, you look like a penguin, whatever. I don't think he even once ever called me by my name. Now before you get all sad for me, that wasn't offensive, I Kind of took it as a term of endearment he became kind of a friend because we sat right next to each other in the PE class when we took roll every morning but that's what he called me and we love calling people these animal names and descriptions and what's interesting is I think the Bible loves doing that too because when we look in the scripture when we look at God's Word we see that God often says that we are like an animal and what animal is that the sheep yes Because we see that littered all throughout Scripture. Isaiah 53, very famously. Ezekiel 34. John chapter 10 says it several times. Psalm chapter 100. And of course, there's an allusion to it in our passage today. Psalm chapter number 23. We are like sheep. So the question is, why sheep? Why of all the animals on the planet, of all the living and breathing creatures that God could have chosen, did he choose the sheep? Well, if you're looking for some motivational pick-me-up, esteem-boosting, empowering message that's not going to happen today, at least not at this part of the sermon. Because much like my penguin nickname, God chose the sheep not because of the good qualities that ate, that they embody, right? So it's not because he thought we were cute and cuddly and innocent and useful for our wool or whatever. It's not the positive things that that means, but it's actually the negative things. Because you see, the sheep, and some of you guys might know this, is a very dumb animal, They're defenseless, they're dependent, they're dumb. And you just look at the sheep and that kind of becomes very obvious to you. They were not bestowed with many gifts, to put it nicely. They don't have many tools in their tool belt, so to speak. So a sheep, there's no sharp claws, no big teeth, no armored shell on its back, no big tail they can whip around to hit their enemies. So they're defenseless. They can't fend for themselves. They're very vulnerable. But more importantly than that, like I said, they're dumb animals. I mean, they are very famously dumb. They have no sense of direction, no depth perception. They wander off all the time. They get lost. And you've probably heard this before if you've been to church uh, any number of years. But they very famously wander off of cliffs and kill themselves hundreds or thousands at a time. Now, just in case you think that's one of the things pastors say to make a point and it's not really true, I googled this. Okay, so it's just, just so you know, I went online and I said, hey, is this really true? I gotta make sure, I gotta do my research. Do sheep really walk off of cliffs and kill themselves hundreds or thousands at a time? And I'm here to tell you it is absolutely true. It is a factual statement. In fact, I brought evidence. I found this article here. This is from the Associated Press, 2015. I got sources and everything. Let me read a, the first few sentences of this article. First, one sheep jumped to its death. Then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to eat breakfast watched as nearly 1,500 followed, each leaping off the same cliff. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall (laughs) more cushioned. And so this is truth, right? Right there in the Associated Press. Sheep are truly dumb animals, and yet that's the animal that the Bible says we are like. But before I crush your self-esteem even more and make you even more depressed, I actually have very good news. Because yes, the Bible says that we are sheep, but what else does it say? It says God is a shepherd. And that, in fact, is the greater, more important point of Psalm chapter number 3. It's not to tell us how bad we are. It's to tell us how great God is. It's not meant to bring us down by highlighting our negativity. It's to lift us up by highlighting God's positivity. It's a psalm of encouragement and not discouragement. So what I want to do with you for the rest of this morning, I want to look at how that is true. I want to see the reason why God is like a shepherd to us, the way in which he takes care of us. And specifically, I want to share one way. Now, in full disclosure, there are many ways that God is like a shepherd. And if you read through Psalm 23, there are at least three ways in that verse alone, or in that chapter alone, that God tells us he takes care of us, but the title of the series is Sermon Sampler Platter, so I'm just going to give you a sampling, I'm just giving you a taste, and also so that our Thailand mission team members who are battling jet lag do not fall asleep. We're only going to talk about one of those three things here today, you can thank me later. But if at the end of this sermon you're just feeling like it's so incomplete, I'm just hungry to know more about why God is like a shepherd, Pastor Sam comes back next week. You can ask him to preach again, and I'm sure he'd be more than happy to oblige and teach through every single thing that's written in that verse. But for me, you're getting one, and that's it. All right. So how is God like a shepherd? In what way does he take care of us? Well, according to Psalm 23, God is like a shepherd because he provides for all of our needs. He gives to us everything that is necessary, all of our essentials, all of the things that we need in order to live. He makes sure that nothing is lacking. God is like a shepherd because he provides for our needs. And we see that emerge in the very first two verses of this psalm. So why don't we read that together? Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Amen. And so the two very famous verses of Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, David declares. How so? In what way? Well, he leads me into green pastures. And David provides for us this very important, this very powerful image of green pastures. Now, what are green pastures? Well, it's obvious. It's it's grass it's plants shrubs essentially it's the things that sheep eat it's their food and then he follows that up by saying the lord leads me to the quiet waters and that's the drink the beverage the the nourishment the refreshment that they need so all these basic necessities the food the drink who is it that gives it the shepherd the lord God so David says in verses 1 and 2 God is like a shepherd because he gives to me everything that I need amen amen at this point some of you guys are just kind of like nodding your heads and rolling your eyes a little bit and you're thinking you know I thought the kid venture guy preached last week because I don't know why we're hearing another children's sermon this week because that's a very basic thing to say right I mean this is something probably you were taught years and years and some of you guys like a lot of years ago when you were kids In your children's ministry, that God gives you what you need. God is our provider. And so I know that what I'm saying here today is not any kind of new or profound or revolutionary truth. I understand that. But I still think it's important for us to go over this idea because I think even for some of the most experienced and mature Christians, there can be a little bit of confusion of what exactly the Bible is promising to us when it says God will give to us everything that we need. I think specifically there can be some confusion at times with what a need is with what a want is Because sometimes they're very much related Sometimes it's a fuzzy line. There's some overlap there and they can involve the exact same thing So for example, we all need money, right? I mean literally we need money. You can't pay rent with vegetables You Can't go to the store and trade in beaver pelts and woven baskets to get something at Target They're not gonna accept that form of payment you literally need money. you got to pay taxes with money. So it's a necessity, but we want riches. We want a fortune. We want wealth. Those are different things. Similar, related, but different. We need a car because you got to get to work and drop your kids off at school, but we want that car that everyone in the neighborhood has been getting lately. We need a home. We need shelter over our heads, but we want that home in that city, in that community that I saw on Redfin or Zillow or wherever you go. <laughs> Right? We want that, but we need this. They're similar, but a little bit different. And even in non-tangible things, we need friendship, community, relationships. Right? We need those things. It's important. But we want popularity, prestige, and power. And so the idea here, God promises to give us what we need, but how much of it? Enough to go from a need to a want or just a need? What's the answer here? Well, some Christians believe that it's actually both. God gives us the needs and the wants. That's the promise here. And sometimes that is true. But is that a guarantee that that's what God is going to do for us every time? Because I said there's some Christians, some teachers, some pastors, very famous ones, very well-known ones with big mega churches who have New York Times best-selling books, who will tell you that God guarantees to give to you not just the needs, but to give to you those needs abundantly, lavishly, luxuriously, that you'll have all the desires of your heart if you have enough faith, and related to that, if you give enough money to the church. God will bless back to you more than what you will know what to do with. And oftentimes what's interesting is one of the passages that is used to sort of give evidence for that is, Psalm 23, and specifically that line there, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And as I think about that, it kind of makes sense, right? Because this idea of green pastures, when we think about it, what do you think about? You think about something maybe similar to one of the pictures that I want to put up on the screen behind me. We think of maybe something like this picture of a green field. Now we think of green pastures. What do you see? Endless greens. Endless greens a lifetime supply of grass, lush vegetation, more than what a sheep would ever know what to do with. And so if God says, this is where I will make you lie down, then isn't it true that he's saying to us, he will give to us also abundantly, lavishly, luxuriously, more than what we know what to do with. Well, as attractive as that sounds, And as much as maybe you or I wish that were true, what if I were to tell you that's not at all the image that David had in mind when he used that phrase, green pastures? Because I don't know where that picture was taken, but it might have been like Montana or Iowa or wherever they filmed, you know, The Sound of Music. I think it was Austria or something, right? But that's not where David lived. He never saw fields like that. Where is David from? He's from southern Israel. And he... Lived in a place called the Negev Valley, which gets a few inches of rain a year. And so, David, who by himself, or who by the way, himself was a shepherd, would know all about this. When he would take his flock to the quote unquote green pastures, what he would see was not a picture like that, but something more similar to the next picture that I want to put on the screen. He would see something more similar to this. Now, what do you see there? You see some rocks, you see some dirt. You see rugged, dry terrain. What I see, basically, when I see this, I see gleanings for the hungry. (laughs) That's right. We take our kids every summer in baking hot heat to dry fruit for poor people around the world. It's like a place like this. (laughs) Tainuba. And you look there and you see, you know, little specks of uh, grass and greens and shrubs and stuff here and there. You see enough for maybe a few sheep to graze, and then you've got to go to another spot, and then they can eat there. Basically, what you see here, you see just enough to take care of a sheep's daily need. Nothing more, nothing less. And as we think about that picture, it changes a little bit our understanding of what exactly God is promising to do when he makes us lie down in green pastures. He promises to give us the needs, but not necessarily the wants. Now, that's not to say he won't ever give you the wants, because sometimes he does. It's not to say that we can't do that because God invites us to ask for whatever we desire. He beckons us. He desires for us to ask. It's just simply to say, we might not get it, because that's not what God promises. He simply says, I will give you what you need. And is that not what Jesus himself teaches us as well, when he teaches us how to pray the Lord's Prayer? Because it's that famous third line, right? The first thing that we are to ask for, give us this day what? Our daily bread, amen. That's what Jesus teaches us when we pray. Ask for what you need today. Don't ask for a Costco membership so you can go to the bulk store get like those four packs of bread, have what you need for today, and then store the rest in the freezer for like three months because you have more than what to do with Right? He doesn't say ask for a, one of those passes at Vegas that give you access to five buffets that within 24-hour period you can go to wherever you want, whenever you want, right? So you can stuff yourself with filet mignon crab legs and those little fruit tarts with the whipped cream on it that look really pretty. That's not what he says. I mean, we wish that's what he said, but he said, no, my daily bread. Give me a slice, maybe two, whatever it is that I need to make a sandwich for that meal, and then tomorrow come back again and ask trust in god daily rely on god daily depend upon him each day and that's what he will give you and so what does that look like in our lives what does that mean for you and me here today well what are your needs what are the things that you need and how will god give that to you maybe for some of us it's finances maybe you own like a a business and things have been a little bit tough economy hasn't been great for you and for your industry. Maybe your monthly numbers are a little bit down. Maybe the balance in the business bank account isn't quite where it needs to be to meet that minimum threshold that you have to have to to pay the bills, to make payroll, to give yourself a paycheck, so then you can go home and take care of your family. And things are tough, so you need some finances. So you come to God and you pray daily, God, give me what I need, and what will he do? Maybe he'll give you that one sale that you didn't think you would get. Maybe that one bid that you made that you were sure they would go with another company, they decide for whatever reason to come to you even though you weren't the lowest price. Maybe there was that one customer that you can't stand and he cheated you out of thousands of dollars because he's like four months off off the due date on your invoice and you thought, man, he'll never show his face again. I'll just write this off as a loss. Well, the check comes in. Maybe the product that you sell, it's gone on sale and it increases your margins when you sell it back. Whatever it is, God starts to give you these little things, and at the end of the month, you meet that minimum threshold. You have enough in the account so you can make the payroll. You can pay the bills. You can give yourself that check. You can provide for your family. It might not be enough to remodel the kitchen or go on a luxurious vacation. That's not what he promises, but you'll have enough. Or maybe you're a student at school, and I hesitate to say this because you guys are on vacation. I don't want to ruin it by talking about school. But hey, it's coming up. Might as well get this out of the way. Maybe you're having... One of those weeks at school where it's just overwhelming, you know? It's like project, project, test, exam, project, sports, church, extracurricular. It's like all at once. And you just feel like, man, there's not enough hours in a day to get all this stuff done. You feel like you're in a boat with like one bucket. and You're trying to bail the water as fast as you can, but the waves keep crashing in and you're sinking. And by like Tuesday, you're like exhausted. It's like, oh, three more days. I don't know how I'm going to survive. So you come to God daily and say, God, give me what I need. And what does he do? He gives you just enough energy to stay up that extra hour or two. He gives you just enough rest here and there. He provides a great study group for you so you can correctly delegate some of the stuff and get stuff done even more efficiently than you thought possible. Now, he might not cancel the tests, right? It'll still be a tough week. You'll still be tired. But God will give you What you need to get through that week, you will endure. Or maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's like health. And you're just physically, emotionally drained because you've been diagnosed with something that's just taking a toll on your body. And because of the therapy that you have to go through or because of the medication that you have to take, each day is just a struggle. I mean, just to make it to the end. And so you pray, God, give me what I need. And what does he do? He'll give you just enough appetite so you can keep that food down to have strength. He'll give you just enough energy so at the end of that treatment, you can go back into work. He'll give you just enough hope and faith so that you're not overcome by anxiety and worry and stress. He'll give you the people who show up randomly to pay for a meal for your family, to walk the dog, to play with the kids, to go with you to the doctor's appointment. Whatever it is, he'll give you the things that you need. Now, you might not have a miraculous healing overnight. You might not be one of those marvels of medicine that defies scientific explanation, and the disease is gone just like that. He can, but he might not. But he will give you what you need. Because here's the thing, when we become Christians, that's not a promise that life is going to be easy. Right? When we become Christians and we give our life to him, God is good, amen. But that's not a promise that we won't go through trials, troubles, tribulations, struggles, and difficulties. And in fact, it's the opposite. God says in the Bible to expect trials of many kinds. But what David has learned in his years of walking closely with the Lord, he has learned that he can give all of these things to God because he has a shepherd who loves him and takes care of him. And guess what? So do you. We all do. We are in the hand and the grip of the great shepherd who will provide for us all that we need. And when we give these things to him, we can proclaim and we can take hold of that promise that he will give us the comfort and reassurance that we need. Whereas David says here in verse 6, and this is how we will end today, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, amen. You gave us an incredible promise of your presence, that we can dwell in your house forever. And Lord, indeed, we do look forward to that day of being with you forever, with no worries and no tears and no pain but in this life now, sometimes that's exactly what we go through. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, that you would just guide them along the path. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that you would give them the faith to say, God, I give it over to you. Would you take everything in my life and would you just make things well? I pray that you give them the strength to go on each day and in so doing, we grow in our closeness and love and relationship with you? Lord, we honor you. We thank you. We're grateful to you for all that you provide. And Lord, as the psalm says, we're thankful that you are our shepherd. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand as we sing this last song together?